Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Back for another episode here on the Uncommon Deeds podcast. I can only assume that you were bobbing your head along to the music like I was because I can't freaking see you, Tom. Yeah. Uh, camera difficulties this week for uh. this guy. And it's it's funny that Justin and I were talking. I don't think we brought up last week that your season was done at, at Devil's Bowl. But oh, yeah. we we're both excited because it frees up a little more time for you. And I'm still finishing out, you know, my season at the golf course. But you're like, I'm already on it. I'm already on guests for next week. I'm I'm reaching out three, four people. I'm really excited about being able to sink my teeth back in. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up, we are recording this the same night that we did the interview with Brad. And it is Wednesday evening coming up close on fucking midnight again uh and we had a cancellation well we never had a confirm well we had a soft really close yeah it was a soft confirmation soft confirmation and then it just didn't materialize and we were able to get this one set up Uh so we're all excited about having you know some extra time and being able to plan ahead, and we end up with a with a Wednesday night scramble. The Tom like our, and Justin specialty. This is like one of the worst scramble jobs that we've had to put together, though. It, not that the guest was was a worst because Brad Layton is is awesome, uh, but Jesus, did I have some stress <laughs> over the last forty eight hours before this thing got. Yeah, he Justin down. messaged me probably Tuesday. I think on Monday I messaged you. Well, no, you said, oh, you would message me on Sunday saying, oh, I'm just waiting on X. He's going to yeah. confirm with me on Monday. Yep. And then Monday went by, and I forgot to check with you, and we didn't message at all. And then you just messaged me Tuesday, I'm right. worried. Yeah. Because I, I followed up with X on, on Monday as I was instructed to do by X and still haven't heard back. <laughs> so, starting to think it's not going to happen this week. Starting to think it, <laughs> this may not be the week. <laughs> um, I am confident that it will happen, but um, not So look today. forward to X sometime. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Um, you can... Send us in your guesses on who you think X was. Who's X? Uh, um, and then I had another guy who um, I've talked to a couple of times about it and floated the idea, and he, he had hemmed and hawed and finally got a, a firm no, it's not going to happen. And that was a – that sucked because uh, it's a guy that should be on uh, – you know, in a little bit of a spotlight here, especially this time of year. And um, I'm still going to work on it. I'm going to give him a little bit, but 
And then I've got a phone number for another guy who is a really exciting prospect. Um, and it's going to, I just, uh, this, this week was so stressful. <laughs> yeah. And then, so we're, we scramble and everything gets set up as always. And my camera just is not working. Yeah. Uh, which just makes things a little trickier for Justin and I. And we talked about it in a previous episode. You can go find it. I don't know which one. It's a good excuse for you to listen to our entire catalog again. Uh, but All of them. But, but right now. <laughs> talked about we had some camera issues when we were testing and doing our early episodes. Yep. And figured out I can't use the built-in camera for my laptop because for whatever reason that occasionally just gives us a horrible feedback when Justin's talking. Not yeah, when like, I am. Like a, on it's my like a Max end. Headroom episode. Yeah, yeah, it's just the most bizarre thing, and I can't figure out why it could possibly do that. So when my external camera wasn't working, okay, I had to go without a camera. And Justin and I do a lot of like little looks at each other and we can kind of figure out when the other one wants to say something. Points here and there. Yeah. So it just made things just a little trickier. And Brad really just was busting my balls about it. <laughs> oh, man. I missed that about Brad. Uh, how he is. He's a shit talker. And he's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, he he was... I don't think we'd seen him. I don't know. I don't know if you had been around, but I don't think I had seen Brad Layton in 10 years. Um, so it was super cool to just kind of pick right back up and nothing has changed. He is still that guy and uh, he's a lot of fun. And obviously he's done a lot of racing and a lot of winning. Um, it was cool to, it was cool to have him break your balls. <laughs> Uh, I was gonna <laughs> and say then his something. computer quit in the middle of it, and and your daughter got up. <laughs> was, yeah, and it, it was a shit show. <laughs> it was a shit show. And Izzy's popped up. I think really only once. She yeah. cried in the background another time. Yeah, but she only really got up once, and that was in the middle of the Brian Hoare episode. She came out, and I right just picked her up and I, How ironic. Her, and I brought her to bed and tucked her in and came back and Brian was still on the same question. So I didn't really miss a lot. Love you, Brian. <laughs> but that is a fact. <laughs> this one yeah. just wasn't, wasn't quite as smooth. And I forgot that Justin can't see that I got up. Yeah. I not only did I privately chat you in the zoom call, but I also messaged you on our phones like, Hey, <laughs> Are you still I there? realized how long I had I had dipped out when I saw that you had messaged me on the phone. I was like, like oh, crap. You're probably going to edit it out, but there was a point where Brad was like, Tom, you still with us? <laughs> like, we hadn't heard from you in a while. I was not. Uh, you were not with us. Uh, and he busted my balls about that. Yeah. He made a very humorous humorous comment that I quite enjoyed that got edited out that you won't hear. 
you'll have to save that for the after hours version. Uh, <sighs> anyway, very thankful that Brad hopped on with us. Yep. On like we said, on short notice, and especially thank his wife. Yeah, Lynn. My God. She pulled the whole deal together. Yeah. Yep. On short She's notice. You know yeah. who's also great on short notice? Hmm. Paul Massetti and Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Letter. Oh my God. Let me tell you about short notice for that guy. Listen, don't put him in that position if you can avoid it, because who likes that? We're but, not endorsing. Yeah. Calling him <laughs> but on if short you, if you have to, <laughs> um, chances are pretty damn good that he's going to be your guy and he's going to come through. Um, because if we ever get the milk bowl in weather-wise, um, you're going to see um, Al Maynard's bright orange warrior car with sweet, sweet vinyl, um, courtesy of Paul Massetti and Massetti Brothers uh, custom vinyl lettering. And uh, we did that on, what, four days? No, No, not even. Three, I know. I think two? it was four. Yeah, maybe. From oh no, no. Al got the car on like Tuesday, maybe Monday night. Yeah, he he got it on Monday night, and by Thursday night, the car was lettered. This is a quick turnaround. Yeah, Paul's good. Yeah, he's the best, <laughs> yeah. and we're not just saying that because he's a sponsor. It's because. He made our decals, and this was long before he was, you know, taking part in our podcast. Is we went to him for our decals and for our logos, all the logos you see, you know, Facebook. We got a couple of them on there. The main one that you see on our podcast feeds, you know, the black and white logos, but the cool one with the helmet and the microphone, all that was. Massetti Brothers custom vinyl lettering. And that's, I think, what a lot of people don't know. And I just saw this recently. He's doing t shirt designs for people. Oh, now. I was just going to bring it up, and they're cool. Yes. And he put um, some examples up. You can check them out on Facebook. Paul Massetti. Yeah, Marcel Gravel was one of them. That's a great looking shirt. And I can't just, it's almost midnight, like you said. So I can't pull that out of the file in my brain but um i remember the the marcel gravel t-shirt looking really cool paul did that and there was a sprint car team or a mini sprint team or something like that that had a cool shirt and um believe it or not justin and i are actually getting close in the in the t-shirt process yeah and we've we have to get our logo in a certain file and it's got to be digitized and all this stuff so you can have stuff done and you know Paul can design those for you. Then he gives you the file you need. So you can take that file wherever you're going to get t-shirts made or sweatshirts or whatever you want. Yep. And he can even suggest some places for you to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great one-stop shop and um, you're going to see how many, was it like 30 teams? 30. Yeah. 30 have plus his stuff. Um, 30 stock car teams. And then he's got go-karts and all kinds of stuff on top of that too. Um, but like I said, if the milk bowl ever gets in, you're going to see his work in action, probably in victory lane, because that's what happens um, in every division. And whether Al gets DQ'd or not for that warrior thing, he's going to win. 
and uh, it, the car is going to look good while he's on the track because Palma said he made it happen. Yeah, and we've said it before. Say it again. You're supporting local, but you don't need to be local to mm-hmm. reap the benefits of his work. Mm-hmm. You can give him a call, open by appointment in Williamstown, 802-249-3763. You can email him, jpmassetti at gmail.com. Gmail. Facebook, Paul Massetti. That's M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. You could be in Switzerland. Switzerland. And set up some decals. It's it's what you need to do. I've seen those decals in person. I saw pictures good. of those, and they look good, yeah. yeah. When I went to pick up the decals for Al's car, there was a stack of Terra One decals that that Paul put together for uh, our buddy Terrence. Yep. Because of this show. People helping people. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. And it also inspires me to to tell you guys that if you want to become a sponsor on the Uncommon Deeds podcast or the Crunch Bunch podcast, for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, reach out to us. Send them a mess. Send us a message on any of the socials. You can email us uncommonmediavt at gmail dot com. We'll send you out a sales card. We can work it out with you based on what you want to do. I think we put out a uh, a pretty good product and get your name out yeah. there. You absolutely we do, and we downplay it a lot. We kind of poo poo ourselves, but this is a good show. Yeah, not, I'm not going to tell you it's not. As for today's episode, <laughs> it is time for Justin to make the introduction. Our guest this week is one of the most accomplished drivers in New England racing history. And I feel like we say that on a lot of our shows, but this one is actually the truth. The 1995 American Canadian Tour Champion, the 1999 and 2000 NASCAR Bush North Series Champion, and one of the all-time winners at the Magic Mile in New Hampshire Motor Speedway. He's done a lot more than that, too, and we'll get into it. Um, but for now, it's a pleasure to have Brad Layton on Uncommon Deeds. Uh, how you doing, man? Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was, uh my honor. We uh, listened to a few of your podcasts. Um, other than Brian Horst, it's been a great show to listen to. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get there. Trust me. We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about Brian with you. Don't worry. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, before Tom's first big question, what have you been up to the last? We haven't seen a whole lot of you lately. I know it's been you know. Uh, I, you know, prior to this uh, interview here, you and I spoke quickly, but uh, with Tom, but my wife and I often think like, how do we do it all? How do we balance it all? How do we have kids and have a business, a couple businesses and, um, and make it all happen? But we, we did it and we wouldn't um, take anything back. We met so many nice people, but now we're like, kind of a little laid back. I'm only working half days, 12 hours. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's um, got a grand, yeah. Got a grand, grand baby girl. And so, um, yeah, life's been, life's been great. I, um, 
I don't watch a lot of racing and I don't know why. I think it's probably from a, you know, like a selfish type ego thing. I think I could do it again, but I know I'm beyond my curve. So, uh, but it's been, it's been really great. And we, mostly we thank you too and other people that keep the, um, race and uh, community alive. It's been, it's been great. That's, uh, that's interesting because we've heard from a lot of different people and it goes in different directions. You know, talking to Dave Dion, he said he just didn't feel comfortable at a racetrack if he wasn't driving. He didn't know why he was supposed to be there. And we've had others who are like, oh, I love being there. I love still being a part of it. So it, it's definitely gone in a lot of different directions based on who we've talked to. Yeah, you, you can't keep Beaver Dragon away from the racetrack. I know, you know, um, from that standpoint, Justin, I, I envy Beaver because, like, I mean, he's talk about an accomplished driver in the Northeast. He's, uh, he's, um, you know, not the stereotype of legend, but he's, I mean, everybody know, knew Beaver and knows Beaver. And um, he's able to do that. Um, and I thought it was because his son, um, which, by the way, we named our son after his son, Brent, at a race at Plattsburgh one night. And Brent Dragon was uh, might have been one of his first races. And my wife and I were, um, she was pregnant. I looked pregnant, but she was pregnant. There's no question. And uh, I'm like, that's a great name, Brent. So anyway, we, Brent, our first son, um, our youngest, that is, um, is... Um, Named after, well, I don't know about after, but inspired really by. Good point. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, inspired by. Um, but to have someone like Beaver Dragon just can't keep away from the racetracks, I, I just, I respect that. I'm not that guy. I'm not sure why. Um, I hope it's not because I'm not giving back what I received, and he is. Um, so there's a balance there too, but, um, it's nice to hear that from you. Well, we always kind of kick this off the same way. And that's with when did, or do you at least remember motorsports coming into your life? You know, it's funny. Um, I did the family thing. I think a lot of us started that way. The mom and the dad and the brother and the cousin and the nephew, and the sponsor that was, you know, had a um, opportunity to help, um, which happened to me. And then um, you either feel like you can advance or not advance. Um, and I love both parts of that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in a position to be able to drive someone else's car in a different level and caught someone's eye. And I mean, I was very fortunate and um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's like opportunity rises and you take advantage of it, not advantage of the people or the person, but the opportunity. And that, that worked for me. Well, when do you remember seeing motorsports or how did you, fall in love with the sport well um and if if i have to digress way back 
in New England here, we uh, it's cold in the wintertime, and I used to race snowmobiles. And um, I was working, I think I was probably 15 years old, maybe 14, not a driver license. Driver's, I wasn't able to drive yet. We um, working in a service station, and we drove this 19, I think it was like a 68 or 69 duster to the pond that the ice racing was happening. We took all the glass out of it and um, used a dealer plate, which was 531X, and we didn't have a number on the car. And so the uh, it was ran by the Rotary Club, I believe, and they said, hey, listen, you need a number on your car. So we literally spray painted 531X, which is the, the dealer plate or repair plate number that we um, used to get the car there. I ended up doing pretty well that day. Um, and I, I think I, that was the bug. I mean, as I die, as I think about it, that's kind of where I was um, first hitched, if you will. Um, but. That being said, early on, I, I realized that, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And my dad was a mechanic. My brother was a mechanic. And I was a complete menace. I was not any of those two. So, so uh, I was more of a type of guy that made sure that I got 100% of everyone and gave a lot of gratitude back so uh you know that seemed to work for me so ice racing in your neck of the woods is a very popular thing in the winter time and it's really only there that that it's seen in this part of the country um how long did you do that yeah that's exactly right justin the um we're fortunate to have so many you know four seasons here I mean, I'm sitting here on my porch. I'm looking at a beautiful little lake on a, this cottage was built in 1950. Um, and in three months, that's going to be all frozen in front of me. Um, so we, um, I got hooked up with it. I got, in, you know, involved with that with, uh, through, through friends. And that's kind of where I got my bug for racing. And there's a lot of, a lot of talent that comes from from that and i was just fortunate enough to be um in the right place at the right time in the right era the 80s and 90s and and the new millennium in 2000 to be involved with the right right people to to make uh you know a career out of it and um i'm very thankful for that so my First, I do a lot of research, Brad. Um, the first newspaper article that I could find with your name in it uh, was from the Norway Pine Speedway in 1981. Jeez. Is that ringing any bells to you? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's insane. Thanks for ringing that back up. Oh, man, I want to know about this. I mean, that place oh is God. still that place is still in 1981. Oh my God. I mean, let's hope it never changed, Justin, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Holy shit. You're like Dr. Phil, right? Um, <laughs> it's like, so we, we were, we go up there 
one night with a car. I'm logging. I got out of school in 1980, I guess. And I was logging for a guy that used to race. He has this old car in his backyard with a tow bar still on it with no engine. So, you know, disrespectfully, as I look at it today, I took the car because he said it was junk. And I took a thing and my brother and father stuck a motor in it, which is like a 305 Chevy. Yeah, excuse me, 307. And I went out and won the race at No Way Pines. There you won. The second race. And we had no money. So, oh, let me digress the first race. The first race, I break his right front spindle off the car. And we have no way to get this thing home because we're towing it with a tow bar. So for $10, 10 bucks, we have a guy bring the car home to my brother's shop, our shop. And he included a right front spindle with a tow. So we, we fix the thing. We go back the second week and we end up winning the race. And I'm like, okay, I went up to get my winnings. And I'm like, we need gas money. More importantly, beer money for the ride home at that point in time. Yeah. So they paid us 10 bucks to never come back again. This guy, I remember him <laughs> distinctly say, listen, it's 10 bucks to win, but it's like you have to get paid the next week so they attract you back the following week. I'm like, I, I need the money now. So he paid me 10 bucks and never come back. And I thought he was, I didn't know if he was serious or not. So obviously taking the $10 went and bought, you know, a case of Miller High Life at that point was probably, what, three ninety nine something like that. And we got home and uh, we came, long story short, I came back the following week and they wouldn't let me race because the guy says, we paid you not to come back and all this shit. So we, uh, but that was Rumney. That was uh, No Way Pines as it's slated today. Yeah, Rumtown now. Yeah, Rumtown. Yeah, it was Rumney yeah. Speedway, which is ran by was in fact ran by the, um, I think it was like the American Legion or yeah. Uh, yep. There yep. you go. Yeah, absolutely. That yep. was that was crazy, and it's still ran. It's still running today. Yeah, Dirtworm Dan is the guy in charge now, and it's 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 fun, and it's I imagine that it's pretty much the same as it was when you got told to never come back oh my god it's it's just like you know i just that you know it's so much respect for those people i mean they some of those kids or people were brought up there and are still there today and i just so respect that it's awesome so 10 bucks 10 bucks <laughs> big <bucks>. money <laughs> uh so, so what was next? I mean, if you ran two races and that's it for your, your career at, at Norway Pines, what happened after that? Wednesday nights at Briar Motorsports Park, which yeah. is now New Hampshire Speedway. Raced around a three-quarter mile pond. The corners were asphalt. 
the straightaways were dirt because they couldn't afford to pave the whole track. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Oh my God. And um, so I sound like an alcoholic, but the, um, and there's an app for that too. But there's like, you used to get paid at one window for the night. I think one night I may have won and it was like 40 bucks. I mean, think about that. 40 bucks. And you're buying a 12 ounce Budweiser on tap for 50 cents. You could spend a lot of time there. Yeah. So it's like you get paid at one window and the same guy that paid you is collecting your money back on Budweiser and making, oh, it was insane. So that was Brian Motorsports Park. That's kind of, uh, my whole family showed up there Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights. I never, I think I lost a job because I told the person, I'm trying to digress, I'm trying to, it was, it was, uh, you know who it was? It was uh, Pike Industries. We were paving. And I was still cracking the seams prior to the pavement. But I told this guy, I had to be out at three o'clock because I had to be in Loudoun, New Hampshire at 430. That was the practice. He was, that's not going to happen. I said, well, no, it is. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm leaving at three o'clock. We were in Rutland, Vermont, and we were doing uh, 89 or 90, 91. You've got a long way to go before you get to an interstate if you're in Rutland. <laughs> yeah. Well, not Rutland. It was, no, not Royalton. Royalton. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sorry with that. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I told him I was leaving at 3 o'clock. I got all my work done, which I thought I did, which I feel that I did. And I said, I got to go because if you leave, you're going to lose your job, which I did. I went, I, I was so passionate about racing back then. And, um, so that was, uh, that was Briar Motorsport Park. Had a lot of good memories down there. What were you driving for a car there? Yeah. I drove a, um, a 6,000 pound. Chevy Chevelle that my father and brother built for my security. I mean, Biden doesn't have anything that's as secure as that thing was. I mean, there was pipes going everywhere. We had no idea that weight was relevant. I mean, holy shit. This thing was as safe as you can imagine. Had two inch water pipe. I mean, like stuff. Oh, I mean, you can't make this up. It was hilarious. It was so we would burn off a set of tires in two weeks and everybody else could run the whole season. We couldn't figure it out. It's like we were running a cement mixer against, you know, sports cars. But we uh, we caught on pretty quick. My, well, I should say we, my brother and dad, um, prior to his passing, caught on pretty quick and realized that, you know, weight was relevant. And, um, yeah, it was a 66 Chevy Chevelle. And I called it the skunk because it had two white stripes. Remember when the old Chevelles had the white stripes on the hood? We thought we'd be cool. 
and use a nine-inch roller. <laughs> we were all, it wasn't. Oh, my God. It was fun. A lot of fun. Latex paint, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so funny to hear you say stories about ice racing with a dealer plate and racing yeah. at Rumney and doing this at Briar when the image that everybody has of you is, you know, Hollywood, they call you Hollywood. And, mm-hmm. you know, the big picture of your face on the back of the trailer going down the highway and, and the spit and polish and the big corporate sponsors and all this stuff. It's, I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, from a mental standpoint, Justin, I never got there. I'm kind of the same guy I was back then. Um, and that was a, that was a, um, that was a problem for me. I, I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be he or she. I just wanted to be that person. Um, so I, I, it was a challenge for me. And um, my wife helped me through a lot of that stuff. Like if you're good at what you do, you should feel good about what you do. Um, but I, I always felt that and I think most everybody that I worked with, worked for in the racing industry um respected the fact that i respected them more and um so yeah it's it's kind of doesn't get to me that i might have been perceived as something that i was different than i am so i'm not i'm not that guy so um and i kind of sensed that when i had an opportunity it was two no, 1996, Terry Labarney, I believe, won the uh, Winston Cup Series. And um, he wanted to hire me to drive his car. It was uh, the number five bear car. back Bush car, yeah. Correct. And um, I ended up actually driving it at Loudoun. Um, it was back when they had a, a few conflicts with Bush and Cup that they had different, um, you know, they were not racing the same track. So I ended up filling in for him and ended up doing pretty well and um, had an opportunity. And, and uh, so we, we were like at the 11th hour, frankly. And I remember Terry Labonte called me one time. I was, not that far from here, five miles, our, one of our homes. And Terry calls me and says, hey, Brad, it's Terry. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, really like to come uh, race full time for us. Um, here's, here's, here's the deal. There's 153 days that you have to be somewhere. Could be doing a promo for, at that point in time, he had Bayer Aspirin right. um, as a major sponsor. Could be doing it for them. It could be doing it for an associate. Point is, 153 days. And I'm thinking to myself, shit, I work more than that now. It's not a big deal. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of nice schools down here for the boys. At that point in time, we had two kids. And, um, you know, the, the, he lived in, um, I think it was uh, Trinity, North, uh, North Carolina, I believe it is. Sounds uh, right. Yeah, so um, so my wife uh, researched a bunch of schools. It was a bunch, 
great opportunity for all. So, so anyway, we go through all that crap and he goes, um, well, we haven't talked about money. And, um, I said, yeah, that's what's up. He goes, well, you know, you're going to end up with a Chevy car and and transportation is free and the gas card and blah, blah, all that crap. And I think I can afford to pay you two fifty. And so being the redneck that I am and continue to be 250 bucks a week, that's going to be a challenge. But I think um, this is a mental thought within 17 seconds. I think I can do this because I don't have any expenses. You got me a car. It's got me a gas <laughs> card. My kids are in school. <laughs> it's like, he goes, so truthfully, honest to God, it was a pause. It was like seconds. He goes, Brad, it's $250,000 a year. No, like 250 is $250. i am like, holy shit. Course, sign me up, coach. Long story short, we got to the 11th hour, uh, wiped out all the research on the schools, and um, we're you know definitely in the process of moving down there. And um, Buckshot Jones, do you remember the name? Yeah, he came in double zero, couldn't drive a camel to water, the poor boy. Um, and I don't stereotype most any people, but he he was so. We had a sponsorship with Bear. We uh, Bob and and um, what was that? One point seven million was a big number. So Buckshot's dad came in and ended up taking a deal for half a million bucks just to get his kid to have a sponsor. So anyway, we lost that deal and. They called me up and I was so devastated, you know, and my current owner at the time, Steve Griswold, was so happy for me that I was having an opportunity. And then I called him and told him, listen, the deal's off. And it just worked out for the best because I'm not I'm like, I'm not that politically correct. And down there, it's like, I mean, you got to you got to chunk people. I mean, it's like it's you and no one else. Otherwise, you're not successful. You've mentioned your wife on a lot of occasions already. When did she come into your life and kind of where is that in your racing timeline? And, and before you answer, thank you to Lynn for setting this whole deal up and, and getting this. Because you talk about the 11th hour. Uh, we had a cancellation this week. And she, I've been talking to her off and on for about a month, and she pulled this thing out of nowhere. So thank you to Lynn for. for I know this. she's awesome, isn't she? Gosh, <laughs> Justin, yeah, yeah. Um. So listen, we met on a blind date. Thank God she she's still wearing those rose colored glasses, but. Um, She'd never been to a racetrack other than the, I think it was a Pepsi 400 or whatever that was back in. She lived in Florida originally, but yeah, she's been unbelievable, very supportive. She's a people's person and everybody loves Lynn. She makes me look good. I'm just uh, so, uh, so endeared to her. She's, she's been great. 
she's been great. And she, um, she's not competitive like I am. It's like, it's kind of, it's me first. I mean, it's kind of how, I mean, I'm getting way better because I'm, I'm an old man now. So I'm almost 60, dude. That's, that's getting there. Um, but she's, she's been so, so supportive. And I remember when I first met her, she, uh, we were going to Beechridge, which is another sad story. But anyway, we're going to Beechridge, um, and we were testing that day, and the car was in gray, and it wasn't all, you know, pumped up in nice colors like we we uh, anticipated. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to go, you don't want to go. So she she went that day, and she was kind of, uh, you know, white picket fence, lint. And all that, and I was like a, just a redneck logger. It was like we were so polar opposite, but it, so far it seemed to work out pretty good. And I've ran the numbers. I can't afford to get rid of her right now. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, again, in my research, I did, and Tom, I'm glad you asked this question. Um, I did find that, uh, and this is still early in your career, you're racing at Beach Ridge, and this is the middle of your championship season up there mm-hmm. in the limited sportsman division. You won the biggest race of the year for the limiteds on Saturday. You got married on a Sunday. Mm. That's that's a that's an understanding partner right there. Oh man, there's so much more to that, Justin. Um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But here's here's the uh, behind the scene thing. Um, no question, that was the biggest win of my career at that point in time and was marrying the love of my life the day after. We were, uh, we went through teardown. That was like our Daytona 500 race, right? So limited sportsman was like street stock type, seven-inch tires, basically shit you drove to the racetrack. It was a little more advanced than that, but um, we ended up winning the race. And um, they they took they tore us down. They did the uh, pre uh, post race stuff and found it out that the camshaft had too much lift on it. So, and I'm I'm not that mechanically inclined, but I do remember stuff. So anyway, the the camshaft was supposed to only lift two two two. And my camshaft lifted two, four, six. What happened was my brother was so advanced. He realized that the rules read simple. GM is GM, Ford is Ford and Chevy, etc. So Pontiac was produced by General Motors. But their, cam, their um, rocker arms that the cam went up against had more of a lift than GM. I shouldn't say GM, Chevrolet. Chevrolet, yeah. Correct. So he went and bought Pontiac Rockerams, which gave me more lift, which allowed him to put more fuel in, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's so, um, oh, God, what was his name? Being a tech man, Griffin. Oh, God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but 
really nice guy. Anyway, so they put a a uh, a uh, dial indicator on the head, and the cam lifts up and indicates that it's more than a two two two. Truthfully, but the dial indicator is actually on the valve, not not the actual lifter. Long story short. It was GM, GM, so we ended up losing the race. They took that race from us, which was the biggest race of the year. It was Like I said, it was uh, Daytona 500. So the it was such a um, high, then a, such a low, and I really wanted to quit after that. I mean, I, like, I talked to Andy Cusack about it, and he's, you know, I'm like, I'm done. I mean, this is bullshit, and all this stuff and he kind of talked me back into it and honestly from that day forward my my uh, career just progressed you know every race I ran and got an opportunity to run Gardner June's car and actually started with Bobby Bobby hands modified but yeah that was a that was a um, very uh, emotional weekend you know with uh but yeah, she's she's very supportive, and she's um she's very uh she looks at the forest, not just the trees. You know what I mean? She's like yeah. big picture girl. So, so how were you on Sunday morning when you're tired and disqualified and <laughs> getting ready to put on the show for everybody at the wedding? I know why. Well, I I guess I did pretty good at that, but um then we we ended up going up like uh. Could have been a Tuesday and Wednesday night, and at, at that point in time, Beechridge had this association, right, that was running um, their weekly stuff, and um, with all the board members and all that stuff, and um, I was pretty good. I was pretty good through the wedding. Um, certainly didn't want to tarnish that 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 feeling, and, and you know that that. Uh, that moment but um during the week it was it was it was challenging but we got through it and we went back and um was more determined than ever and yeah it was just that's like everybody goes through that stuff you know yeah it was awesome so looking ahead after that what leads to joining the act pro stock tour in that famous one x yeah, good, good, good point, Tom. You know, listen, uh, that was an honor. I've been so freaking blessed to go from the family, call it what you want, business, the racing industry, to a um, you know dynasty with Gardner and June, and then moved on to Stephen Pegg. But um, so here's here's the reality. Bobby Gahan. There was only a few of us from New Hampshire, rest in Beechridge. Yeah. It was like Bobby was a modified guy and I was a street stock guy. Didn't even know one another. He was from Dover and I was from, you know, Santa Haba. And um, he was running ACT, the, the old ACT. And he was running for points at, Beechridge on the modified number 50 
had number 50 at ACT as well, but they, they were somewhere else. I don't even recall. So I got a phone call. He goes, hey, do you mind starting my car? Like literally making a lap and they you allowed so many points. He was racing for the championship. I'm like, yeah, I don't mind doing that. So I get in this thing, get all buckled up, strapped in, go out for practice. I'm like, holy fuck, this thing's got some balls, a lot of power, a lot of rubber. The motor's in front of me. He's like, holy shit. So I made a few laughs. I'm like, I think I like this. So we went out for the second practice, and I got a little a little cocky, if you will, a little faster. Not even remotely as fast as the rest of the guys. Willie Elliott and all those guys, you know. It's like, so um, did that, and I was very focused on my brother's car and our car. And we went out and did our thing. And then the modified feature came. Oh, prior to that, I made like one lap, two laps maybe, three laps if most, on the qualifying, and I pulled in. So that uh, allowed him to get his points. And so the feature came, and Bobby Gahan's crew chief, darn it if I can't remember his name, big cigar, never lit it, nice guy, said, hey, he goes, I don't give a shit if you start and finish or just drive the whole race. I said, all right, I could do that. So I got going. The race started. I passed a couple cars. I'm like, shit, this is feeling pretty good. So I went from, like, back then the Modifieds, I think they probably had 17 cars. Pretty decent field. So I went from last, putting around, to third. Passing these cars, I'm like, holy flip. Didn't realize what I was doing. And I get up to like second spot, and Willie Elliott, I remember he was the guy to be. Yeah, well, yeah. frankly, it was he and Bobby. Bob, yeah, Bobby Gahan was the guy to be. <laughs> Correct. It was Bobby and he. So Willie had this number one, right, with a yellow car. And I get up beside him uh, just before I got to him, and I was I think I was in third place. It doesn't matter. And I rubbed ties with this guy whomever it was, and this thing went up on two wheels. It's getting the freaking shit out of me. So, And I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be doing this, right? Start and finish. And uh, pulled in the pits. And like a week, so that all went through, and Bobby got his points, blah, blah, blah. I think he probably ended up winning the championship that year. If not, he was second. Um, I was grateful to be able to help. But Gardner Levitt was there that night. Now, you're talking a little redneck from Center Harbor, New Hampshire, street stocks, drove this modified, made a few laps, and this Gardner had been in that industry forever. Well known, beautiful equipment. And he called me and asked me to. Um, if I wanted to run his car next year, which is the following year, I'm like, holy shit, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, uh, and frankly, I had questioned in my own mind, can I do this? 
Like, well, I guess I can, I guess I can, I don't know. So, uh, all winter long, I went back and forth from Center Harbor to, um, Kiza Falls, which wasn't that far. It was like, like an hour and 10 minutes. Worked on the car, built a car, and so on, so forth. But we, uh, created a really good bond between he and June and, um, a lot of good memories with those people going to the races in that red school bus and, you know, it was, it was great. Yeah, it was, I, I've been so fortunate. Were you confident going in or how long did it take for you to feel like you had kind of got the learning curve, you were around it and you could really be competitive? Yeah, good good point, Tom. So here's a deal. Um, my very first race, we ran Lee Speedway. That was an open, right? And um, I finished third behind Junior Henley and the Robbie Crouch and me. And I'm like, this shouldn't happen, right? And those two people I idolize, I'm like, Holy shit, Brad, this, this probably was a flu, right? It's not going to happen again. And, um, well, and, and to be fair, not only are you a rookie, but Gardner stuff as beautiful as it was, was not much of a front runner in that era. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree, Tom, but that being said, you know, digressing and realizing, you know, looking, looking back, um, he was a guy that built it and paid for it, right? Yeah. I mean, that mattered without saying it matters back then. So he was a bit more cautious than some, you know, wannabe stud like me. Um, I had less fear or less respect because I wasn't the guy that welded it. I wasn't the guy that paid for it. Um but you're right. I mean, Gardner had always a, a lot of a lot of good, beautiful cars, and um, um, sometimes uh, the result results didn't show that. So you're there in your first race, and you're behind Junior Hanley and the Robbie Crouch, which, by the way, the Junior Hanley too, um, and everybody else behind you, which is you know they were getting. 60 70 cars at lee for the openers every year and this is your first race so to back up tom's question uh did that confidence come pretty quickly (laughs) no actually justin it didn't because i'm kind of a realist i i i realize that you know stuff happens and there's a flute and you can make it you know i mean look what happened to the giants versus the patriots let's face it I mean, it's a fucking flu, but anyway, it does happen. Um, but I was, I was very cautious. And after that, I, I, I would say I was more determined. I'm not sure the confidence came out, but I was certainly more determined to, um, you know, be competitive in that, that equipment. Um, yeah, it was, there was a lot of, a lot of ifs, you know, a lot of ifs. And um, we um, we did very well as a, as a group. We were, um, you know, we were, we were underfunded back then 
when no one realized what underfunded meant. You know what I mean? Because our stuff was, I mean, the craftsmanship and the the uh, pride that was put into those cars um, was second to none. But um, we were underfunded from the standpoint where, you know, people were testing and they were dynoing the engines and they were dining on the shocks. This is way before we were a little bit behind the curve, if you will. Um, so then we, then, then reality hit and we were not winning races. Um, and realizing, I realized what was going on. It was either me or, or, um, we just didn't have the resources. So I had an opportunity to move on and, um, that's kind of what happened. Um, but I was so grateful for that opportunity. Let's not get to the 55 car yet. Um, because that's a, obviously a huge part of the story, but, uh, you know, the one X is an iconic car and you don't have to be from new England to know that car. Um, you know, all the Southern fans know that car from Martinsville or wherever. Mm. Um, so to, to get that ride and, you know, you didn't win. Um, Kelly Moore is the only guy who ever won in that car. Good um, point. Yeah. But you finished second a bunch of times. Um, you were second your rookie year at the fall foliage race at Airborne, mm-hmm. um, which is a big deal. Um, and you had a, a great run your, your last season in that car in 93, um, where you, you almost won three weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had one hell of a crash at Oxford and mm-hmm. we're not going to let you get away without asking you about that. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, Lynn was, uh, my wife was like, uh, I think eight months pregnant. That might have been, that may have been the only time. And, uh, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to, that, um, so Lynn was eight months pregnant and Tom Curley came over the radio and said, Hey, get Lynn Layton to the front stretch because, um, had a big crash. Um, was in one X, uh, the, uh, what ended up happening was uh, we hit so hard at the front stretch. Um, the motor came forward and the fuel pump snapped off the cross member and hence started a flame. And, um, Stan Missouri was there, obviously being a tech man, he was on the infield and, uh, he came over Stan and being the mechanic and, talented he is he literally pulled me out of the car i was unconscious at that i was passed out at that point and he clipped the the um bent over the fuel line from the fuel cell and the flame went out but um yeah that was that was uh that was pretty intense yeah that was that was a a bad crash and the bad crashes that was a brand new car that Gardner and um, Stevie just built. Um, it was on the slung rear end. It was a, it was supposed to be the state of the art car, which it was, I think it was going to be. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was, then I end up 
driving somebody else's car. So I got the points for being, because back then they had driver owner points. So I ended up getting a couple of points for driving somebody else's car. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I had a lot of respect for Tom that night that he brought Lynn out of the, state, uh, the uh, stands to make sure it was okay. But she still didn't catch on. She's still here. What is going on? <laughs> so we've hit on a few tracks. Did you find it kind of easy, fun, difficult going to different tracks, especially for the first time? Obviously, you know, Beach Ridge and Lee and Oxford Plains – familiar but then you throw in something like a thunder road and you start mm. traveling more what were those you know first visits like for you oh my god i mean yeah, i i'll be totally honest and transparent i hated beach ridge that was my home track i hated going there i mean like i think i had so much anxiety there because i thought that i should win every race, win every practice, and all that bullshit. Um, I just never did that well when I was on the ACT or Bush North um, at that point. I think I just put so much pressure on myself, which is ridiculous. Because, but um, but I did enjoy a lot of the different um, places we went. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of um, good influence, different drivers, and I spent a lot of time thinking, you know, now, now these kids, I call them kids, they get on their programs on these, um, I racing and they program in, I don't care what you program in. We didn't have that opportunity. They have more talent than I ever had, but we used to have to walk physically walk around these places and see, you know, there's a little hump coming out of two at Thompson and you're driving down in the corner. Oh, by the way, when you're leaving Beechridge, the minimal bank is seven degrees and drops off the four. So that means your right rear is going to, we, that was kind of a mental thing. Um, we didn't have all that. Um, not to take anything away from these kids today because they're way talented, but, um, yeah, we did that. We walked around the tracks and uh, I did really enjoy going to different places and and try to, uh, you know, um, tame, them, you know, be competitive there. There are a few, though. We all have our little favorites, right? We, we went to one certain track like Airborne for me. And we, won, we won four races in a row. Uh, I don't know why. I just, I think because I'm, I think because I'm ADHD and dyslexic and both corners were totally different and I feel the same way about Loudon. So like I can adapt to this because it's not the same. And Nazareth, um, you were good at too. Yeah. Nazareth, like the, the, the oddest, queerest track that you could even create. Um, I adapted to so I don't know that's kind of how it worked for me but give me a roundy round like Beechridge you know 
seven and a half degrees in the right the, the whole time around. I, I don't know. I just seem to suck at it. So uh, what leads to uh, the exit of the 1X car? And here comes Steve Griswold with this unbelievable race team presented to you. That's great. Great question, Justin. Listen, reality. Uh, we've ran uh, 22 races one season, the 21, and I haven't won a race. May have finished second. Uh, what? And Gardner June has put, put their life savings and heart and soul into me, and I'm not getting it done. Would We as a team are not getting it done. So it's like, what the F is going on? And... Uh, so, got to make a change. I mean, something they need someone else to drive this car, or I need to drive some for someone else. So, made that change in '95, I believe. You would know. '94. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jesus Christ, Tom. <laughs> he said he does his due diligence. Jesus Christ. I can, I can send you a screenshot of the notes he sends me before <laughs> oh these episodes. God. Yeah. It's yeah. called Get a Job, okay? <sighs> does he know my security number? My social security number is <laughs> Not yet. Give me another all hour. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, we went through that process, two years doing a race. We were very competitive, blah, blah, blah. Like, what the hell, Brad? Um, you need the shit to get off the pot, so to speak. Um, and Steve Griswold comes on the scene with, um, a team and they win a race up in Nova Scotia. And I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the forest, not the trees. I think I'm as good as that person. And Ricky was good, but his equipment. Is nowhere near as good as what I have. He's, I mean, I got the best shit you can create with Gardner and uh, and Stevie. It's like something is gonna break. So, Rick, Ricky, who? Uh, Ricky, 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 Ricky. Um, oh, you called me on the spot, Justin. Well, um, was was it Harrison? Thank you. Okay. Well, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Go modify the Beatrice forever. Yeah, okay. Yep. So Ricky Harrison won the race up in uh, Nova Scotia. And uh, the next race was in um, another Canadian track. So anyway, I went over to congratulate them, this and that. So we started chatting. And, um, you know, Steve and Peg, and we just kind of, you know, had the same thoughts and what do you want to do and I'm like I don't know but I don't know you just came on the scene and I got way better equipment than you do in my opinion I'm not paying the bill but I see the stuff and you just want to race <laughs> I've been here for a year and a half at that point in time and I can't win a race and so we just created this relationship and uh got her in June basically cashed in their life insurance policy to finish our season. And that just, yeah. oh my God, you can't make that shit up. And I'm like, I so indebted to those two people. It was like, 
you know, I get we I have to do something. I mean, they're so passionate to the sport, not, you know, I took it personal, but to the sport, um, I got to do something different. I can't do this again. And they're just, you know, spending too much money and we're not, the success is not there. And so Steve and Peg and we end up with a, you know, a conversation and relationship and, you know, 18 years we went on 18 years together. So, uh, but I'm so indebted to June and Gardner. There's unbelievable people. Do you feel more pressure when you build that kind of relationship in that situation to perform for them? I think so, Tom. I mean, I think so. And frankly, I don't, I think that is why I would would not have been successful in the Southern uh, series because there's no there's no relationships there. It's like, what have you done for me lately? And I, I wasn't brought up that way, and I was fortunate enough to be as success, successful as I was. But, um, yeah, I had a lot. I mean, I, I really personally felt that I let them down, and they put all their all in, and – I was not able to, you know, succeed to their, what they were hoping. I, I, yeah, I, I actually did. Yeah, I did. It was, that was a tough move. It was a tough move. And I would say now I did it. I didn't do it hundred percent. Correct. I should have went to them first and said, Hey, listen, I got this opportunity. Um, to drive somebody else. And, and, uh, I didn't do that. I put my cart before the horse, so to speak, and had, um, you know, the following season already in place prior to letting Gardner June know that that was my last season with him. So, but we've had many conversations. We had many conversations after that. So we're um, pretty. We're I'm in a good place with them. You ended up in a good place too, <clears throat> with with the Grisco car. Um, you know, you were, you know, admittedly not that successful in the Levitt car, um, but you were a winner almost right off the bat in '94 um, on the American Canadian Tour. You won three races and you were immediately a title contender. Um, and then, of course, '95, uh, you won the championship that's got to give you some feeling of validation. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, um, as I mean, people that know me, Justin know that, I mean, I have no ego. So, but I, I may represent an ego cause I'm, I'm pretty boastful and I'm very well spoken, but um, I just got involved with the right people. So in 94, 94, you would know the dates better than I, but Carl Osha and Brian Latouche, yep. which is Robbie Crouch's old people, were working for Tom Curley. And I knew history that those two were, were brilliant. And they had a following 
with their people that could create a, a hell of a team. So, one night at Beechridge, Stephen Pegg, Griswold, have a place at Goose Rocks, which is just on the ocean, like 20, 20 minutes away. We all met there one night, and I told Steve and Peg that I could put together a team that would be very successful. And those two were the key players. And so we all met there. Back then, um, finances would only allow one full-time employee, which Carl and Brian chose upon themselves that Brian would be that, Brian Latouche. Um, so, Brian, uh, we created this team, uh, Grisco, and Brian was the uh, full-time guy, and Carl, and there were um, five others that were very loyal and very talented um, that came with us, and um, we created this Grisco race team, and we were, um, we ended up being extremely successful. Um, but I think we we drew off each other's ego, not even saying it because I was everybody was so passionate about what they did, and it was it was I don't know it was it was a it was a great it was a great a great run. I don't know how many uh, we were together for uh, so that would have been ninety five through two thousand and. Three, I believe. Something like uh, that. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I decided that, you know, I, you know, the, the core was still there. Talent was still there. Brad had different, different visions. So I'm like, we need to find another driver and we need to find a Mike Stefanik. And I put him in the seat. But anyway, what a what a uh, what a great story, Fairfax. I mean, I drove so many nights up there, and so many days to see Brian and Carl, and and um, you know, because we know we lost Brian um, to uh, brain cancer, but yeah, we had a lot of a lot of good nights. Yeah, I think my talent um, wasn't in the seat; it was putting people together that I knew he or she um, would fill that would fill that void or fill that need. Um, I think that was my talent. And I really do because I honestly always felt that anybody in my position driving that quality car could have won that race when we did win. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a great run. It was awesome. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of success, especially early on 95, you win the ACT title. I think you had seven wins that season, swept all four at airborne. Then the banquet comes and Tom <laughs> Curley announces that ACT was folding and nobody was getting paid. Oh my God. Right. So, um, the good news is our tire bill was already paid, right? 
and our employees were. We were, we were with, fortunately with a uh, someone that was uh, Steve and Peg, uh, very successful in business. So, um, not that they didn't run this like a business, but we we're going to be okay. Yeah, that was that was pretty devastating. Um, we had already, we, me had already decided we're going to go there. Because if you recall, in 95, we ran like, I think, three or four bush races. Right. Just enough to get on this, the uh, status of rookie. Um, so we, we were looking to move on. I say we, plural, Stephen, Peg, and I, Griswold. We hadn't convinced Brian and Carl, which is well known as the Parr brothers back then, to move. And I was so committed to them. I just, I, I could have, I would have done anything to bring them over with us. But they were, uh, they were like curly eyes. Like, Tom had this stigma about him. He would like, he had such a cult following. And I'm not, I mean, I, I would say that to him if he was still with us, but he, uh, they were so loyal to him. And, um, not until that banquet, they go through the top 10 and his banquets, by the way, was second to none. Absolutely. Oh my God. That guy was a promoter. I mean, we won, uh, we ended up winning 1999, uh, the Bush Banquet. We ended up winning New Millennium 2000. And, you know, not to take anything away from them, but Curly, you know, he and I never got, got along. But point is, he knew how to promote that shit. He was unbelievable. So so that being said, in 95, to go through the whole process. So top 10 was relevant to him, right? Not that – I mean, he knew the – the uh, the other top twenty was his revenue too. Don't get me wrong; he was all ge- was generated on income. Let's face it; he was well advanced. But top ten, he made it real, and he did his stuff, and he did a great job, and the bagpipes and all that shit. So he goes through all that stuff, and he gets through ten through two. And then all of a sudden, he gets up there in this long black coat, trench coat. I can't. I will remember this till the day I die. And he announces that ACT, prior to my championship. Oh, my God. Oh, you can't make this shit up, Justin. So prior to me, so 10 through 2, second, they do all their typical ACT stuff which is great he gets up there and he announces that act is no longer he the loyalty and all this fucking bullshit we got people crying in the back of the room about tom act folding and blah 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 and then i'm left to announce my appreciation of my team oh my god you can I mean, like, I never forgave that mother SOB for that. <laughs> I'm not serious. I'm yeah. just, I can't do it. I can't. It's like, are you fucking kidding me, Tom? 
So uh, he did it, and I rose above it, and we went through this thing, and I'm thanking he and she and them and they and all the above and my sponsors, and they got people in the back in the back forty crying and people walking out and like, oh my god, Tom, you motherfucker! I was so pissed at him. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't think of a more awkward situation. Wow. Oh my god, Tom! I mean, wow. you can't make this up. It was like, okay, wait until I'm done. Well, not me, but the champion happened to yeah. be me or it started early. It's like, I felt so targeted that you couldn't imagine. And I share that with you because Tom and I have had conversations when Carl and now digress 1984, Carl and Brian were working for ACT as tech men running the series and I took him took them away because they're competitors and we sound like Grisco. So we Tom and I had conversation in, in confined areas and oh, yeah, it was there's a lot to it, but anyway, it was uh couldn't take any of it back. It was great. I think I would take that part back. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, and it sounds it sounds a lot like what just happened at Beach Ridge um, a few weeks ago. I know. Yeah, no, no, no question. Listen, um, cut my teeth there, right? I mean, uh, well, I'm going to cut my teeth, but um, that was uh, when I first started Street Stocks and 4,400 miles a year, which was relevant back then when you don't have, you know, any sponsors or anything. Um Got to know the family well, the Cusack family. Glenn was racing, which was a challenge for him, right? I mean, his father owns a track. His brother's announcing everything. Think about that for a minute. You know, not even Peyton Manning has that stress or had that stress. So, um, but I, we all get it now. But during the process, it was a, it was a challenge. So when Ralph passed away, um, I don't think it surprised me. Andy, I think Andy held that together um, as long as he could or felt that he should um, after his dad's passing um, to keep it a racetrack. Um, and now it's, um, it's, it's history, right? Yikes. Yeah. Um, well, it looks like there might be a little bit of good news still to be seen, but, um, anyway, so you get that big old bombshell dropped on you at the banquet. Um, but as you said, you had already tested the waters with the Bush North series. You, that's where you guys were headed anyway. Um, in 1996, you're a NASCAR rookie and you're on the big stage and you guys, once again, you hit it right away. Yeah, we sure did. Um, I th I think um, I think we just kept it simple. Um, we had a lot of dedication, and um, we realized it was. Um, oh my God! 
I got to tell you, Justin, our guys, my guys put in so much time, not to underscore any other team, but, I mean, these guys were serious. I mean, these guys were working for um, companies that allowed them to have three to five weeks, and they would take all their time to, to either go to a Thursday, Friday, Saturday race or a Wednesday test. Um, they were so committed. I can't, I, I mean, they were so committed. I hope they get the same satisfaction as my wife and I had for uh, many, many years. But we, um, we worked hard. They worked hard. We had the resources, um, and we were uh, we were uh, so we were at a pinnacle in and uh, Curly's ACT age at ninety four ninety five. I mean, think about it. We we're at a pinnacle. That that series were at its pinnacle. We were racing um, for real money, um, and we had uh, some TV coverage. A lot in Canada, of course. Um, and then when when that faltered, we um, 96, 97, 98, um, Bush North, we raced at Loudon four times, right, for like two years. And we had some coverage on Saturdays. And we got kicked back to Fridays, which is whatever. But um, we were uh, – our our team and myself were so fortunate to be at both series at its at their pinnacles. Um, it was timing was perfect for us. It really was. Yeah, we we're so fortunate. Um, let's go back into '95 with your debut in the Bush North series. Um, you you know, and again talked about your debut with ACT where there's 60 or 70 cars trying to qualify at Lee. It was much mm. the same at Loudon every, every single time. And they were there four times a year and there's 60 to 70 race cars trying to get in the show. Oh and my you God. guys, you guys did it and did it well. Um, but a few years ago, before we talk about maybe that particular day, but a few years ago, I was at a function at New Hampshire motor speedway, um, a vintage day. And you were there on a panel with Ricky Craven, Bobby Allison, and Bob Bear. And mm-hmm. you told you told the crowd a story about how Dick McCabe told you how to get around Loudon. Can mm. you share that with us? Yeah, no question. So um hence Justin, that was uh that would have been ninety five. And uh we ran um Steve built a new car for us at NRP at Dick Glines. And the, his stuff was stuff to buy back then. Very competitive. So we, uh, we tested and then we came back and then we tried to qualify. There were actually 101, 101 cars registered. They ended oh, up man. being like 77 or 79 cars that showed up that day, um, to qualify. I think. I'm I'm pretty certain we qualified like 22nd or 23rd, and it was like I felt like I got the pole. It was insane. It's like, oh my god! So we end up starting the race, and um, 
Dick McCabe's NRP daughter was my spotter. And she was on the uh, above the uh, tower. And she did an unbelievable job. Got me up to 10th. Started 22nd. 22nd or 23rd, get up to 10th, and um, had a rain delay. We're in a tarp. We're in this little easy up thing, and uh, Dick McCabe was under the tent. And I'm like, Dick, he he might have known me from Beechridge or Oxford, but anyway, I, I confronted him. I said, Dick, um, what's up with these numbers on the wall? It's like, Three, two, one. And because, you know, Dick, being a main Yankee, I label that pretty well myself. But he's got, he didn't have a cigar, but he, Dick typically had a cigar. Let me tell you, boy, he goes, number three, you let off the gas. Number two, you apply the brake. Number one. If he hadn't done three and two, you're in trouble. You're going to hit the wall because <laughs> you're going to go in the fence. So he kind of, and honestly, I I took that with respect and kind of it's true. It's, it's like pretty crude and generic, but it's true. The numbers are relevant on the wall of three, two, one. And uh, so we end up. Um, rain delay. That's why I was able to talk to Dick under the easy up. This this is mid race. This is uh let me let me say it's yeah correct. Unbelievable. Just mid race. So we get this wannabe tarp over a car because it's raining, and I'm of course I'm scared to death. I went from twenty second to tenth. And I, my, the spotter is extremely relevant and loud, not knowing, but realized quickly. And my antenna is sucking all this water in. So we restart the race. And Dick Glines' daughter is like, it sounds like she's, you know, underwater. Like SpongeBob, you know, like blah, 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 blah. I'm like, so I go from 10th to 17th in like seven laps. It was ridiculous because I realized that I couldn't hear what she's saying. I'm like so paranoid. And we're doing 100 plus miles an hour, and I'm a short track guy, short track guy. It's like, holy shit. So anyway, we end up finishing on, I think we ended up finishing 15th or 18th that day, but, but, uh, that was uh that was my very first race allowed and it was it was uh quite the experience and um yeah very very thankful for it and i don't know i just that place treated me well were you able at that point to kind of step out of yourself for a second and think wow this is really effing cool for someone that was you know like justin said it Norway Pines Speedway not that long before that um kind of but I'm, I'm I think I'm um I've kind of 
it kind of branded me. I'm, I'm always a forward thinker. So, um, I don't, I certainly don't dis, disrespect what I've done, but I'm, I'm, I'm a forward thinker, but, um, but, um, I don't get caught up in the moment either from those things. So, um, but it was, it was, it was definitely a, a moment, so to speak. And, um, it was kind of a moment and, but I'll tell you, I, uh, I've never disrespect any speedway that I've, uh, whether it's star at a quarter mile or Nazareth, this queer little five, eight or mile, whatever it is, seven eights and, or Loudon or Dover. It's like, I certainly respect, uh, respect, uh, where we're racing on. Hey everybody, before we get to our next question, Let's take a little pause for the cause. Today's podcast is brought to you by Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. All the logos for Uncommon Deeds, that was Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Those sweet, sweet, sweet decals we've sent out to our listeners. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Established in 2005, they do logo design, consultations, Office, truck, motorsports, you name it, they can do it. They had over 30 teams using their stuff this season. They're open by appointment in Williamstown. You can give them a call, 802-249-3763. And send them an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. You can find them on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's Massetti, M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering, designed to win. This episode of Uncommon Deeds is presented in part by ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont. Established in 2002, ProHeat is now 19 years strong, and founder Michael John Massetti has 30 years' experience as a full-time heating technician. So they're here for the long haul. Winter is coming, so it's time to start thinking about your heating and hot water needs. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service. Whether it's water heaters, gas, oil, electric, or hybrid, they got you covered. Furnaces, oil tanks, cold climate heat pumps, Vernice space heaters, boilers, gas, and oil, they can do it for you. In central Vermont, call MJ Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. In the Bradford or Groton area, you can call Derek O'Donnell, yep, that guy, at 802-238-3848. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office, 802-479-9330. Professional, reliable, on-time, ProHeat. Now, let's go back to the show. But what was it particularly about Loudon that you love? Because I mean, like I said, this, you go down through the annals of history across every division that's ever been there, and in whatever order it is, it's Kyle Busch, Teddy Christopher, Eddie McDonald, and you, and everybody else. You know, that's not even close. So, why? <laughs> why did it? Why did it work so well? You said that you don't like the little roundy rounds, which is where you spent all of your career learning. Uh, but then you get on these big tracks that you've never seen, and you just take to them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like a, it was like the polar opposite of Beechridge, right? That was my, I cut my teeth there, per se. It's not really. I mean, we talked about it earlier, Justin. No way, Pines, my first race per se, but Beecher's is always a, um, 
you know, we ran for points, had a lot of pressure on me, but Loudon's kind of my home track. I was facing like 20 minutes from here, but um, I never felt that, I guess. The pressure to um, succeed, it just, it just happened. Um, you know, all the other drivers you talked about, I don't think anyone has won eight races down there. Um, I, I, I can think of three right now. I get, we gave away. <laughs> it was a rain delay and two gas, two gas stops. But, um, yeah, that place, I, I don't know. I, it just, uh, it fitted me. It just like, it, um, the straightaways are so long. And then the corners, um, are short track, right? It's like, that's kind of how I approached it. Um, you, you're hanging out. It, it's felt for, for me, it felt, it felt forever to get to the corner. Then it was time to do your job, whether it was, you know, break or not break or change the apex of the corner. I don't know. It just, it, it seemed to fit me pretty well. Well, also for a, you know, self-proclaimed short track guy, you have success at Watkins Glen. What's what's that transition for you to road course? So here's the, here's the reality of, of uh, road course. I thought I was re- I thought I would be really good, and I was freaking horrible. So, uh, Mike Grichy, who's um, Mike Stefanik and. Uh, uh, Mike uh, McGoughlin's uh, owner slash crew chief and whatever he's doing now. He called me the Minuteman at um, walking um, Lime Rock. It took me over a minute to get around there. He goes, Brad, there's someone in the backstretch timing you with an hourglass. <laughs> and I'm like, such an asshole. So, so, so <laughs> God loves Steve Griswold, my, my, my buddy. My main man, um, he sent me to Bondurant School out in Phoenix. And um, I was so fortunate. So here's the story. So my wife and I flew out there with our boys, and I was so sick. I don't know what I had. I don't get sick. But I end up with some something, virus, flu, and couldn't go to Bondurant. And this school is like, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Steve was paying, Steve was paying for it. And we, her, her sister was out there. Excuse me. So we stayed with her. I was so ill. We flew back. I had to call Steve Griswold and said, Hey, here's a problem. On the plane ride out, I got sick. Couldn't go to school. You're not getting your money back. Blah, blah, blah. And Steve is, we're buddies and the business guys, a mentor and love Brad. Well, let's think about this. You really need help on the road course. Yeah, I got that. And I really spent some money. Okay, I got that. So let's see if you can call and get re-submitted. So I'll do that. 
So my wife did that, or we did that together. I ended up getting um, a class with these vintage guys. Well, back then I was 33, 32, 34 years old, half their age. So got submitted in the class. So we flew, her and I flew back out and got to the class and we did a classroom session. And there was a lot of, I mean, not the stereotype because I could be there tomorrow. A lot of white haired guys. Because the, these guys were vintage racers that wanted to learn how to run a road course. And there was me, some little redneck. So this guy's name, the instructor, there were like, um, how many of us? Eight of us, nine of us. And there was four instructors, three instructors. And he said to me, this guy says, hey, you with me. And his name was Bill Cooper. So I went around, I got into this 5.0 liter Mustang and we did a couple roundy rounds. We did this and uh, went through the road course. It was uh, at Firebird out in Phoenix. And he says, uh, you must be a hell of a roundy round racer because you're not worth a shit on road course. I said, good point, Bill. I didn't know his name at that point in time. I said, good point, because that's why I'm here. I, you need to teach me. So long story short, he got into the car. The, I was in the passenger seat. He was in the driver's seat. He taught me a bunch of things. And then we had a break. I got back in the car, and I said, Bill, listen, I'm an old truck driver. I can't not do the heel and toe. Like, that's what. Good road course racers, good road course racers will do heel and toe, brake and clutch, brake clutch. I can't do that. I can, I can shift the car or the truck without touching the clutch. So go, hey, here's the deal. The transmission is five thousand dollars for this thing. If you blow it up, you buy it. And I'm thinking, ain't my money. It's my buddy's, Steve. So, long story short. Four hours later, Bill, he and I were running around Firebird, and he taught me um, all the do's and don'ts about road coursing. Totally different than what I anticipated. I mean, you're like, you need to be relaxed, and you shift softly, and you brake before you turn, and you turn, all this stuff, and all the shit. And uh, long story short, I finished, uh, I qualified second at Watkins Glen. And I called Bill Cooper. I remember it like it was yesterday. And he he answered his phone. I had his cell number. And uh, I said, Bill, this is Brad Layton in uh, New Hampshire. Hey, Brad, he's whispering at this point in time. How you doing? I said, you okay? And Bill's talking to me. He goes, Bill. He goes, yeah, I'm in a tree stand. I'm deer hunting. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm at Watkins Glen. There's like 85 cars, like some of these road course exports, and I qualified second. He goes, good, you only got one position to go. So he hangs up, and so that's that's uh, that's my deal with road course. And we end up winning Watkins Glen, 
and we end up winning uh, Lime Rock Park. Yeah. Um, so that was a great education. I'm so thankful for uh, Steve willing to put his time and uh, efforts into, into my non-skills at that point. Brad, how much did it mean for you with the investment that, that Steve and Peg Griswold made in you and in your team? How much did it mean to you to be able to deliver a couple of championships to them? And as you said, it the Bush North series was, it was hot in that era. I mean, it was a direct line to the cup series. Um, and you didn't have to have millions and millions of dollars behind you to bring, to buy a ride at that point. I mean, this was, this was a much bigger deal then than it is now. Yeah, no question. Um, so that, you know, Justin, that was, um, I didn't have that in my thoughts back then because I didn't have any uh, desire to be the next Winston Cup champion. Um, but um, I was so thankful that Stephen Pegg. So here's, here's the thing. I remember having an argument, or, or, I, I would quicker say discussion with Dave Dion, which it ended up being Dave and I had very little respect for another racing each other. But when we finally, at the end of our careers, I say, uh, we realized that he and I had so much more in common than we thought. And uh, he was the first one to bring to my attention. And, um, but, um, when Steve and I first got together, um, Dion and I, Dion told me that that this, that wouldn't last a year. It was a flash in the pan, you know. So, but I respected Steve so much, and you know, had so much respect. You know, his 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 um, passion and desire to make people better um, at any level whether you were the one that fueling the car or changing the shocks um, was at the same level. I just, I was so inspired from that and made me a better person. And at the end of the day, it made us a better race team because um, everybody put 110% in, but we, um, we spent a lot of time discussing um, scenarios Steve was a, he was pretty much perfectionist about, um, you know, studying people and getting 100% out of somebody um, that was a duck and not a goose. We all love ducks and gooses, but that was kind of a short analogy, but uh, in never stereotyping um, the duck or the goose, but um, there was so much respect throughout the whole team and the way he conducted himself. Um, I think a lot of us just was inspired by that. Um, but it was, it was, yeah, it was such a great run. Yeah. I wish I was, could we all say this, but we're 20 years younger, we'd redo it. But we, I mean, I probably couldn't win as many races <laughs> as I did. 
it, it would be hard to duplicate what you did. And in fact, you couldn't duplicate the first, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, and I don't mean that as a slight against you, but the yeah. 99 season, your first championship was unbelievable. Oh my God. I mean, we, uh, we, uh, I don't know what, how to put it in perspective, Justin, but I would say that we, um, we were never satisfied, which is kind of a sl- sad slight, but um, yeah, we just kept going and we knew that what we did, we recognized the shortfalls that we had and we try to work on those and it, it, it kind of worked. I mean, we had so many, uh, so many success stories, but we learned by the, our fault too, you know, and I think that's how we were trained with Steve. He's, he was genius that way. He really was, you know, not to underscore what we accomplished, but, you know, realizing what, meh, you know, nothing wrong with a, nothing wrong with winning every race, you know. Patriots did it all but one year. Uh, you're a football fan, I see. <laughs> uh, we're crazy about football. Yeah. Problem is with Tampa, Pitts, we're, we're, yeah, we're split now, so we're we're pretty uh, loyal. You know, after the the amazing run um, with the 55 car, it just sort of seemed to end, um, and it seems like maybe you had some different ideas and different plans. Um, you, you switch teams and cut back to a part-time schedule in, uh, Oh three. And that's pretty much what you did from there on out. Um, had you just done enough or were you looking to do something different or what led to that? Yeah. Good question. Um, definitely not looking to do something different. Um, I felt that at that point in time that, um, I didn't have my heart and soul in it. Um, didn't want to do the full-time thing. Um, didn't want to, um, and the team was still very vibrant and looking to win more championships. And I, I mean, I just truly felt that I wasn't the guy that could, that, um, that had that same passion. So I went to the, uh, you know, part-time thing. Um, but I kept Steve and Peg involved. We, um, we had a, a sponsorship package that we brought to another team and we, I think I ended up winning like three of the first five races. Some Yeah. Thing. Yeah. It was and, a pretty incredible run there too. Yeah. It was, you know, it was really, uh, it was great. Um, but I'm pretty much a committal guy. And if I say what I'm going to do, I do what I say. And, um, everybody, all my buddies <laughs> that I ran with, like, oh my God, you lead the points, you know, you won the three of the first five races. I'm like, no, I, I won't see you. I'll see you race 11 or whatever it was. Right. Um, so, and that's what happened. Um, but it was nothing to do with anything more, Justin, than desire to, um, step back a little bit and, uh, and uh, enjoy the the family life and uh, my sons and and their uh, and their careers and what they were going to do and and um, it was nice to see um, Grisco flourishing as well. That was when uh, I was part of uh, Mike Stefanik coming into Grisco. Um, 
very happy with that. And then I transit helped transition Grisco to North Carolina with with Andy Santier. So that was that was a rewarding to me as well. You were still involved, even if you weren't involved. <laughs> yeah, no question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that. Um, we, uh, Stephen, Peg, and I, and Lynn, uh, my wife, had flourished this um, respect and relationship and business partnership that was beyond racing. Um, so we definitely were involved. And um, in fact, we were in Bermuda one night. It might have been three in the morning when, if you recall, Justin, that they used to run a race out in California, Bush North. Um, we were watching that race together. And um, I told Steve Griswold that was I racing for him full time? I think I still was. I said the only way that Grisco, his company, was going to flourish would be to either move to Carolina, uh, North Carolina, or have a connection there, because that was the hub of racing. Yeah, it continues to be. Um, and that's we moved forward. We moved uh, the operation Grisco from Fairfax, Vermont, to um, North Carolina, where Andy and Sue Santier were, and um, that was the next era for uh, Grisco. So I was part of that, and I was, you know, it was a tough transition, but it was a business move, and um, it worked out for everyone. So you're. You're racing, you know, again, part time um, for really the last decade of your of your career um, mm -hmm. between Bush North and ACT and a little bit with pass. And now ACT is obviously not the same car or schedule or anything similar other than the name and Tom Curley um, at that point. But the success was still there. Um, you had uh, Pete Dudo and. Um, and that crazy bunch and, and you guys, you only ran a few times a year, but you're in victory lane more than your share. Yeah. I mean, how fortunate we were, we, we, so listen, Pete, um, Pete Dudo, what a, what a great guy. He, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to get hooked up with Pete, um, his group, um, with the ACT. Um, that's another guy that's, um, very passionate to the sport. Um, some would think Pete is, um, a little selfish, but that's a wrong read. Pete is, um, shy and very caring about people. Um, but his stuff is, um, his his stuff is quality wise. His his cars is like the the one X right with Gardner sure, June. Sure. Yeah, it's like I mean the stuff was impeccable. It was beautiful. I I didn't even want to sit in it without wiping my feet. Frankly, stuff was just beautiful. Um, and we um we hooked we hooked up Pete and I and uh, Pete uh. It was a great story. Um, we, we ran a few races together. Fact is, 
we ran um, a few bush races together. Yeah. With uh, Pete and um, what's the crazy man there? Uh, oh God, Brad. With uh, oh God, uh, Bob. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, um, Bob. Um, and we were successful with him. And um, again, a great group of guys that had the passion to win and. I just, um, I think I said it earlier, Justin, that um, my talents, my talent was getting people to work together and and just, you know, uh, drive for the same gold more so than get behind the wheel and make the thing go left. It's just, and I that group was, I felt really good with that group, and you know, it's. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We uh we won a bunch of money one night at the um what's that Calcutta? The Calcutta. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. They were great times, weren't they? <laughs> Those were the best. Yeah. Oh my God! I mean, talk about a promoter, Curly, the sob. God love him. But um, yeah, we uh I think we won like twenty one grand that night. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. We uh, we shouldn't have won. We ended up winning the race, and whomever bet bet on us, and I I don't I didn't understand. I'm not a gambler, but bottom line is uh, Pete did very well that night. We had a hell of a time, and um, that's so a, that's the great speedway. That was the uh, that was the Labor Day race uh, at Thunder Road, the 200, which yep. was one of the craziest races that I think anybody has seen in a long time you wrecked twice you were in the fence <laughs> yeah uh, you went off the top of turn one you had yeah. i think four flat tires or some stupid thing during the race and yeah. you guys came back and won that that's got to be one of the wildest races you've you've won no question justin so here's the deal my sister uh isabel who's a huge fan um of me she wanted to kill Dale Shaw that day. So Dale Shaw built the car. Get in line, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Dale built the car for Dudo. And Dale, we didn't have a crew chief that day because Matt Ghostland was crew chiefing for Phil. um, Scott, yeah. Thank you. Um, So I didn't have anybody. So so um peter brought in shaw and what happened was the sway bar he had whatever his configuration was the sway bar kept wearing off and would blow the right front tire out and as you indicated i went over the bank a couple times and my my sister was convinced that dale shaw was trying to kill me that day (laughs) so we win the race, as you indicated, and we're in the pits, and my sister comes over, very vocal, and she wants to kill Dale Shaw. I'm like, wait a minute, is my sister. We just won the race. That SOB tried to kill you. He's <laughs> he can't make this shit up. Oh, oh my no. god. That was a uh that was a that was yeah, that was uh that was a great a great win. 
It was great. Yeah. yeah. That was like, I had that love hate relationship with, with, uh, T Road, Thunder Road. He either treated me great, uh, or he didn't. And I re- respected the shit out of that place. Cause it, I mean, you've got to be patient there. It's, uh, yeah. To say the least. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Thunder Road and patience and, Mm. We are weather permitting, attempting for Milk Bowl weekend again this yeah. weekend, and all nice. the yeah. all the successes you've had. The Milk Bowl isn't not a lot of real right home finishes for you at the Milk Bowl. You know, ninety five, ninety five. You started out with the segment first segment win, mm. and then. You know, real rough second segment, and you end up eighth overall, which is one of your best finishes at the Milk Bowl. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, it's it's one of those things. Um, I I think I overthought a lot of those races. Like, you know, on the road is like you you kind of got to, in my opinion, it gives you something you don't get it. It's, um, and I, I'm, I'm, I guess I was, I think I was too aggressive, you know, in most of those races there and end up the results of that. My eighth, eighth is the best I ever finished. So yeah, I would love to kiss that cow. I would have loved to kiss the cow. You know, it reminded me, reminds me of my ex-wife really, basically, you know, it's like it's there's a lot of kissing and a lot not a lot of giving. <laughs> oh man. You know what? It's it's never too late. William yeah. Shatner just went into freaking space at ninety years Good old. Good answer. Yeah. yeah Good yeah. answer. Yeah. That fuck is ninety. Yeah. Yeah. He looks darn good. I'm I'm guessing there is a few uh few dollars spent to make him Still look that good. <laughs> he got beamed up a little bit. What you say, yeah. exactly. Scotty? His middle name's Scotty right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so are you? Are you ever going to come back? Are you done, Captain? I Kirk? think I'm done, but yeah. thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen. Um, if I thought that I had um, uh, the the talent or the passion to do it, I probably would try to get back in shape and, and mentally and physically, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think I'm done. So listen, um, I have so much respect for these kids that are racing now. I mean, they're, they're freaking talented. You know, there's, um, there's always a, a stigma that they're fearless, but they're fearless. Of course we all were at that age, but they're, um, they're educated and they're talented and they're, there's so many, uh, they're taking advantage of a lot of the opportunities they have as far as educating. And it's just like, it's, it's amazing to watch them. It really is. So for an old fart like me to get back into it, you know, unless you were racing a pedal bike, I don't think I'd be that competitive anymore. That's an interesting angle here and let me ask you this 
do you think it's more advantageous for somebody brought up in your generation to be working on the car and knowing exactly everything that goes into the car and knowing every square inch of that thing and then going out to drive it? Um, or do you think it's more of an advantage now for kids to have endless laps on a simulator and know exactly what they have to do once they're in that race car and let somebody else worry about setting the car up? Mm. No, that's a good question. I, I mean, I personally feel as a um, industry now, it's like a, it's like its own little thing. Um, the, the guy that's setting the car up can't drive because he doesn't have the, well, he choosing not to drive because doesn't have the talent that that person has. So there's a uh, different components of that industry now that are so relevant where it used to be um, the guy driving the car would know all the, the nuts and the bolts and the springs and the shocks and all that. I, I don't know if that, if that's relevant as relevant I think it's the report back to the people in that um, position making the calls. And I think that's why um, the younger generation, I mean, let's face it, they're, they're, um, this, they're smarter than us at a certain degree. They're all their, their talents are driven towards, information back to someone that it's not doing x y and z where some of us would spend a lot of our time figuring out does it need a stiffer shock or stiffer spring or different sway bar or shorter this shorter that um i just think they're um they're um they're so much more focused on a small component of what makes it all happen than we were back then when we were the person that slid the sway bar in and changed the right rear spring. It's, it's, it's a different game today. It's interesting. You even see it take, uh, obviously, like a Chip Grenier, who we've talked to, who we talk about, mm-hmm. who is, he does it all himself for himself. He does it for yeah. other people. And then you have, you know, "Quote unquote young prodigy" and Caden Fisher, who you know you see posts on Facebook or wherever that he's you know winning another iRacing event and then cleaning up in the street mm-hmm. stocks at Thunder Road. I know it's true. Yeah. So uh, touching on Chip, Chip actually um, was on my team for a little bit um, when we ran um, some early. Uh, I guess early, late um, bush races in ACT when I was doing a few things here and there. Great guy. He's extremely talented. So here's the thing. You're right. Chip could do any and all that. And is very talented behind the wheel. But as a whole, you need so many more people involved with more knowledge than you um, or at least have the time um, to make that all happen. And um, 
And that's the result, you know. Chip's a great guy. We had a lot of good times with Chip. But, um, yeah, I think this uh, the new technology and the new way to learn, um, I'm like way – um, to put things in analogy, I'm like, I'm, I'm still a flip phone guy. Not that I'm, I don't have an iPhone, but my point is relative to racing. I'm like, I'm behind times. We're starting to talk about personalities a little bit here. And um, you have a pretty wide sample of personalities that you have come across in your career. And we've talked obviously about the Levitts and the Griswolds and Tom Curley. Um, but some of the guys are oh, Dave Dion, some of the guys that you, uh, have raced against, well, let's start with the guys that maybe you didn't get along with, um, because, uh, <laughs> you know, you were always one to, to push the envelope a little bit. And, uh, I remember very clearly, um, an interview with Brian Hoare <laughs> after an airborne race. And I don't remember what happened. <laughs> but I remember that he was hot at you and you were hot mm. at him. Um, and you guys had had some run-ins on the ACT tour and the late models um, later in your career. Um, what was it about you guys that kind of, it was like oil and water. I, I, you know, I think, I think um, it wasn't a um, respect thing. I, I mean, from, Speaking selfishly for me, my my standpoint. I mean, I was respect to Brian. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he did the same. But um, we both very competitive, extremely competitive, and um, um, yeah. I don't know. I I think um, there wasn't anything that he or I would accept other than a win. So if it was against he and I, it ended up being a, uh, you know, a challenge. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was uh, kind of the heat in the moment type thing. I had that same relationship with uh, um, Dion, you know. I think at the end of the day in our careers currently, uh, which Dave is retired, I think, and I have, and Brian is Certainly, if not retired, slowed up. Um, I think we respect one another more now, realizing that we were very similar in a lot of aspects than uh, than we were different. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like either one or you didn't. And um, using those two as an example for me, we we were all we were very competitive. Yeah. Does that make it hard to have friends in racing? I mean, who who were the guys that you that you loved to be around or or race against or look up to or or however you want to term it? I know, you know, it's that's a good point, Justin. You know, it's like I don't know, I I mean I think I had friends. Not I'm sure certainly not. I'm certainly not suggesting that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm no, just wondering, I, you know, I, what were your relationships? But, like? <laughs> I know, but I'm not sure how you define that. I mean, like, I didn't disrespect anyone on the track that I had a drink with the night before. But I mean, I was out to. 
do a job and win and um would i would i did i do that at your expense yeah I'm, unfortunately i think i think that happened on on occasion but if it happened against me i respect that as well so i guess to that point um i would give it and i would take it too and there are some of us that raced that wasn't that um understanding or at least didn't have that same opinion and dave dion and i would that one until our later in our career did we not realize that we kind of were the same thread we were very similar he didn't respect that he thought i was just a you know some lucky some bitch that ended up with a, a good team and someone that was able to finance uh successful teams and um but it ended up being that he and i respected one another and and i think brian and i was the same way All right, we're gonna and then i still hate dodges <laughs> <laughs> Well, you did tell us before we hit record today that Brian had played a part in your deciding to hang it up. Yeah. So listen, um, I think I lost. Um, good question, Tom. I think I lost a little bit of um, drive. Um, and I'm not really good at not giving 100 plus percent. So there were two races in, 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 in particular that I remember. So um, I was running, uh, I had somewhat got out of full time and I was running up the pass race, which I love those cars, which were the old ACT cars, right? Yeah. Curly's yeah. first um, version. Um, low, light, wide, fast. Um, so I was in um, North Carolina racing for um, uh, Richard Moody. Thank you. Shortly known as Dick. Anyway, um, so I ran um, a race down there for him, and we were I I grew pretty fast. Um, anyway, I ran like. 18, 19 laps, and I started in the back, and I started working my way up, and there was a guy, uh, like three cars in front of me, and I always pride myself on not watching in front of me, watching four or five, six cars in front of me to avoid the obvious, and I ended up running into this car that spun out, and I was so frustrated with myself. I told my wife this, like, that, that, that's just not me. I mean, I, I saw it happening happening i envisioned happening and then the same thing happened to me at waterford speedball with brian hoare brian hoare and i were running for the win on the act the second version of curly's act and i was gonna win and brian caught me and he um was on the outside of me blah 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 long story short there was a lap car and he did a better job at it than I did. And I ended up running into the car. The car 
well, whatever, we, we collided. Brian ended up winning the race and I finished second. I was so disappointed in myself that I didn't, it was a, it was um was just a shortfall of my, what I thought that I, part of my talent was. And that was it. I just said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to be someone that just keeps riding around like Mark Martin did and Michael Jordan and a few other my respected racer friends that I'm gonna not going to bring up. I'm not going to be that guy. So I get out. I felt that I get out at the right time. I mean, my my talents were um, diminishing and yeah. It was it was a good timing. How do you how do you handle that? I don't know. I'm thinking I'm feeling pretty good about it, honestly, Justin. <laughs> um, um, I, I was you know I, I didn't continue it. Um, I knew that my uh, reflexes, my mindset, and all have, have had done that transition. Um, which I don't think I would have put myself in that position, you know, three years, two years, one year, five years prior to that. So I'm, I think I'm handled. I, I felt pretty good about it. I know my wife wanted me to continue a little bit more. And I know my boys did too, but like, I don't know. I think if you lose that flame and that passion and desire, um, I think it's time. So I'm and timing was worked out. I, I feel selfishly worked out pretty well for me. I didn't want to be that guy that just kept running and running and running, you know, racing. So you mentioned your sons a few times throughout mm. this interview. Were they all in and loving what dad did? You know, uh, Tom, they, uh, I wouldn't say they bought in, but they were, uh, old enough to appreciate what we were doing, my wife and I, um, at the latter part of my career. And they, they spent a lot of, they were a little bit older, so they appreciated all that. And, you know, um, they, I think they wish I would have continued, but, um, they were there when we started the course. Um, but they were kids, the babies. Um, but then when they got older, um, they kind of, you know, I'm sure they had a little ego that, Hey, the dad's a race car driver. Come see. They brought their buddies, but I don't know. Um, I have more fun with them now, honestly, with the grandbaby and the girlfriends and all that stuff. You guys do in in your free time now that you're not racing. What what's what's a day in in the life of the Laytons? I know it's awesome. It's good to think that um, we work so much. We just um, she, she enjoys what she does, and I enjoy what I do. And we um, I I think our uh, quality time is is um, is limited but more recognized so uh, you know 
our quality time goes from two to four hours, five hours a day or a weekend, but it's really recognized where we, we still work, you know, like everybody else does, but, um, um, we really appreciate, you know, uh, our quality time. We, we have a lot of things going. She's a, a my wife's a select person in town and, um, she still runs a couple of our companies and, and then my oldest son works Well, he actually owns and runs one of the companies too, but yeah, we're really fortunate to have both boys like within three miles of us. And, and, um, so yeah, life is really, really good. Life is, life is good. And, you know, haven't been in the racetrack in a while and, I love talking to people that are just getting into the sport and they're, um, you know, buying used tires and doing the same shit that we did, uh-huh. you know, 30 years ago. It's, it's, it's awesome. And we, we, um, frankly, we, uh, were fortunate enough to be able to, um, help some, uh, local race teams, you know, and we, um, we we help four or five teams, you know, at a different level. So I'm sure they respect that as I did when I first started. So it's it's nice to nice to give back at that level. All right, we're gonna hit our quick hitters, and then we'll let you go. And thank you for giving us so much time here on a uh, on a weeknight. Uh, first one, if you could have back. Any car or vehicle that you previously owned that you wish you still had today, what would it be? Personal vehicle? Yeah. Uh, my first um, F-150 truck, two-wheel drive, yep. It's an awesome truck, and yeah, I wrecked it. I'm not that good. <laughs> I junked it. Were you a kid? Uh that's relevant right now as I'm almost 60. You're getting personal now, big boy. <laughs> I was, I was, I was probably 19. Yes. Yeah. Your birthday is on all the stats websites. So it's not, we're not keeping any secrets here. It's, it's out there. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, my question, if you've, if you've heard the show before, then you'll know it. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? Um, probably, um, take a, um, take a, um, cut off wrench with a, with a, um, piece of fluorescent, uh, orange tape to use for a caution at Loudoun. Um, I'm not going to tell you my crew chief and I was part time, but he wanted me to throw it out during one of the races to create a caution so he, we could pit. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. My the point is I shouldn't even suggest that I would do it. But, um, but that, I mean, that's not bad, right? I mean, after all those races, I mean, I throw some water bottles out and shit. And Hold on. To- did, did you throw the wrench out or no? No. Okay. No. Right. Yeah. No, but he wanted me to. I'm like, listen, dude. Yeah, 
I, I wouldn't even mention his name, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I did not throw the wrench out, but it was a cutoff wrench. It was like a three-quarter wrench with a lot of fluorescent tape around it, duct tape. And the theory is, you know, if they saw something on the track, they'd call a caution. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no. But, There's nothing um, wrong with talking about it. Doing it's one thing. Talking about it's another. Yeah, no. It's like, <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> uh, finally, if you could go back and run one race over, what race mm. would you want to run over? God, you know what? Um, that's a stumper. Um, I would have to say Thompson Speedway. Not sure what year it was, um, but I made a, a call to pit. It was like, uh, do you remember the name Jeff Fuller? There were Absolutely. two Fuller. Yeah. Okay. Rick, Rick and it, Jeff. Yep. Correct. They were both modified racers. And um, um, they were both, and I think it was Jeff. And we were running, um, he was sponsored by Sunoco. We were running a Bush Series race. And uh, we pitted. I made a call. That was back when, prior to Bush North having restrictions on tires, you could only pit. Well, we went from pitting two tires to none. But anyways, back before um, uh, that, when you could pit for two tires, and I said, don't pit for, I'm good, don't pit. And Jeff Fuller pitted, and he was like, whatever. He came up through the field and winning the last lap. And I was so pissed at myself. I should have pitted with him because it wasn't a time thing. Because no one, I think it was only three cars that pitted. He was one of them. But that was his home track, right? The Fullers really grew up in um, Stafford and Thompson. They're really talented. Um, but anyway, we ended up finished second to him because he pitted tires. He passed me like three laps to go. And we had a way faster car than he did. Point is, if we, if I personally made the choice to pit with him, um, I'm sure we could have beat him. But yeah, that was that was it. The Sunoco, uh, I think, it was Sunoco 200 or something like that. Yeah, it was a big race. Yeah, it was a big race. Yeah, yeah, it was a big race. So, yeah, that you know, fishermen talk that way, right? The big one got away type thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brad, what's next for you? Um, well, hopefully get back on your your podcast eventually, but um, just doing it, working, and um, I don't know. I just loving it and have a lot of good friends and, you know, don't get to see a lot of my race buddies that I'd love to. Which I wish we had um, some type of um, purpose to do that, right? Why do we all wait until we go to someone's celebration of life or that bullshit? We should somehow get together. 
Um, maybe I should create that, right? You know, well, the Hollywood, the Hollywood, Hollywood day. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> I like you know that. who, uh, you know, who started that was, um, actually, um, um, Mike, um, you know, Mike from Maine, Mike, Mike Jesus. Rowe. Thank you. Mike Rowe. Used to, Cause I wore sunglasses and Mike used to call me Hollywood. So that caught on. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, then he ended up hating me for a while. <laughs> then that, I ended up uh, racing with him and his his team on the uh, the old the old pass series. Yeah, yeah, he's still racing. I heard he's amazing, unfreaking believable. Yeah, uh, is he is he un, is he doing okay? I don't know. I don't uh, know. He was racing at Beach Ridge last I knew, and I really am not sure how that went. Um, but yeah. he was winning races recently. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> He's a machine. Yeah. That's awesome. That's okay, man. Cool. Well, listen, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. And um same here. We uh you know, we were looking forward to having you. I've been I've been like I said, I've been talking to Lynn about this for a month. Um and <laughs> uh and thank you again to her for bailing us out this week and getting this all set up. Oh, but, uh, Oh, thanks. But I'll, I'll share that with her. She's, she's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think I can speak for Tom on this, that we've had a lot of fun watching you, um, from the grandstands and, and it's a pleasure to get back in touch with you here after all these years. So thanks. Thanks, man. Hey, and thank, thank you both for doing this stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, what an opportunity for you guys and certainly for us to uh, share some memories and you guys willing to do this stuff is freaking awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a privilege for us. That's, yeah. that's definitely for sure. And, you know, yeah. Justin and I talk about it and we'd like to do some other things and we have some big plans. So we'll probably, we'll call on you again at some point. Absolutely. Well, I'll do that. Well, don't wait until I'm wearing Depends and all that shit. I'm in a fucking wheelchair, man. You got to step up. You're not that old. You're not that old. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my son says you're so old you can't turn your head around. Your head around, correct? So, <laughs> oh, uh, hey guys, thank thanks for having me on. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks again to Brad Layton for giving us his time, like I said, on a bit of short notice. Uh, some great stories. Yeah. And I think he was genuinely kind of excited to tell some of these stories and talk to us. That's the first time that anybody has called Tom Curley a motherfucker on this show, so that's cool. Or he started to, and then, well, no, oh, no. he did. He, he, he went back. It, yeah. He said SOB first. Yeah, but he followed through with it. What a story. That is the most yeah. awkward, one of the most awkward stories I've heard in a yeah, long time. Damn. Damn. I didn't know that it went down like that. Before um, we crown the champion, <laughs> so you all know, this right here, this right here is done. <laughs> 
and ain't nobody getting paid. All this, it's over. <laughs> but Brad, come get your trophy. Oh. There's no money, but come get your trophy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Do you have a speech? <laughs> oh. I bet, I, there's, think, I bet there's... For the record, I think that he did make good on the point fund money. It took him years, but I think that it, it, people did get paid. I feel like that wasn't that long ago that there's probably like a VHS or a fucking tape Ooh. of that banquet. Wow. And I would now love to see that. I wonder. Oh, my God. I never thought about that. Hmm. I wonder if I can do some sleuthing. If anyone could. I want. I wonder. We may have to call Michael Stridesberg on this one. I just messaged him this past week, and he never got back to me. So so I'm throwing some shade his way. That rotten bastard. Well, we'll have to rattle his cage at the milk bowl whenever that happens. Although we were just looking at the weather, and it looks like it's better. So, Man, I don't know if you've noticed this, Justin. Hmm. Gas prices on the rise. Stupid. And let's not – I'm not bringing this up to – Talk about what a racket it is, how no one bought gas last year, but suddenly now we're in a shortage. But, you know, that's not mm. not why I brought it up. Because home heating fuel also uh-huh. on the rise. Yep. So now would be a great time to get yourself as efficient as possible. You said it. And uh, do you have any clue on as to where you could go to get some efficiency? I don't know. If I, if I, needed, if I needed help with heat, I'd probably want a pro. Mm. A pro to help me with my heat. So you're saying a pro heater? Yeah. Person? Someone mm, who's, you know, fluent in pro heat. <laughs> who heats proly uh i think i've got the guy for you um and i think the guy's name is mj massetti in fact i know that it's that it's him um so what we're getting at here folks is if you're in central vermont uh and you need to get ready for winter because of course you do because it's vermont uh, mj massetti at pro heat that's P-R-O-H-E-A-T, ProHeat. That's your guy. Uh, he's been at it for almost 20 years now. Uh, well, no, the business has been at it for almost 20 years now. He's been at it for 30 years as a tech, um, and he knows what he's doing. He knows how to get the most out of your heating system or where to upgrade, where to uh, make some changes so that you are able to get the most out of your heating system. So if it's uh, heating or hot water. Um, he's, he's going to help you out. Uh, furnaces, oil tanks, uh, heat pumps, which is something that my wife and I think we might be regretting not having installed in our new house. Well, it's not a new house. It's an old house. Um, space heaters, boilers, um, and all of that. He can handle it for you. Gas, oil, electric, um, the new hybrids. And Jameis said he is your guy. Um, or if you're a little bit more towards the Connecticut River Valley, call Derek O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. 
the same guy that won all those championships with MJ Massetti as the car owner. These guys have been a team on the racetrack and now they are a team. Well, they've, they're still a team off the racetrack. Um, and they're as good off it as they were on it. Um, this is a three time Thunder Road champion crew who is smart outside of the race car too. And uh, they're going to help you out. So Pro Heat is the place to go. And there's a lot of phone numbers here, but you heard them in the, uh, in the commercial during the show. So I'm just going to give you the East Montpelier office. That's 802 479 9330. They're the best in the business. And like I said, MJ Massetti has been at this for 30 years. ProHeat has been around since 2002, so we're coming up on 20 years um, for the business itself. So if you're in the East Montpelier area, and the East Montpelier is Montpelier, Barry, Berlin, all of it, every, all, all of that whole footprint, um, that's the place that you need to call, and uh, they got you covered. So Pro Pros heat. in the heat game. Yeah, and uh, listen, Facebook too. Um, that's the easiest thing for every, everybody these days. So pro heat. Bang. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. Make sure if you are a fan of our show, eh, even if you're wishy-washy on our show, follow us on all the socials. It's- you want to throw shade at us. How do you get there? We always say we are very open to shade and criticism. Just send it yep. directly to us. Don't influence other people. <laughs> Get at uh, us, haters. Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook. Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. Like we said, if you are interested in being a part of the Uncommon Deeds Podcast, do you want to sponsor or... You have a cool idea, you can get at us at uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Gmail. And we're hoping to uh, to branch out with the media company and doing some some different things. And Hey, I've got a cool idea. Let's get you a damn camera so I can see your beautiful face. Yeah, that might be a, on the list of things to do. Mm-hmm. As we approach midnight, is maybe mm-hmm. quick scroll on the on the Amazon. <sighs> yep, I saw you for like thirty seconds when we before we started recording. Yeah, but then that was it. That was it. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to us on Apple, leave us that five star review. How many of them? One, two, three, four, five. Five cinco. Helps us with the algorithms, they say. But hey, if I if I was a mathematician and I wanted to start a band uh, and sing about presidential candidates, the name of my band would be the Algorithms. You know, I was thinking you'd use the cricket sound effect. Honestly, I've used uh I haven't used my buttons that much recently and it's hard for me to remember where everything is, but yeah. I thought I was going to go for the clapping. I got the drum roll which worked out well too. Yeah. A little rim cool. shot. It was on a bit the of a long delay. the long awkward silence though. That was Yeah, I'll edit that out. So, nah, as you're listening okay. to this people, 
picture a long, empty silence in there. Uh, it hurt me. It hurt me. But no, on if you're listening, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, like, subscribe, do whatever it is. It always helps out. And like I said, we're uh, we're here. Comment, questions, whatever you want. We enjoy talking to you guys, so reach out I to think us that's on a Facebook. Good joke. I mean, come on. I've worked on that for a while. The algorithms. That's that, that's like multidimensional. I have moved on, Justin. Come we on. need to wrap this thing up. We are we are well over two hours. Fine. Fine. And we are putting a neat little bow on this. All right. If you're listening Thanks. to this on yeah. Friday or Saturday. And the weather is decent on Sunday. Uh, come see us at the Milk Bowl. Justin you know and I will what? be there. Come on Saturday anyway, because people are going to be drinking beer and getting ready for Sunday. It's, it's Saturday at the Milk Bowl is really one of the best days of the year, no matter no matter if it's raining or not. I will say it was far less enjoyable when we did had to do Saturdays on the radio. Well, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But I feel like if you don't go to Saturday, you miss something. There's just, you feel like you're coming in blind on Sunday. And I know that the milk bowl itself happens on Sunday, the three segments and all that. But the qualifying is always, you know, I, God help me, I hate time trials, except for the once a year, it's just cool. I don't know, just one time a year, it's all right. On Saturday. And I think the bonus, if that's probably a bad, bad way to put it as a bonus, but not having a huge field, you can do time trials and it doesn't get too long and tedious. You can stomach it. Yeah. When there was 61 cars in like 2010 or something that took a little while, that was a little long, but yeah. Oh, Oh, Oh. And Sunday. Hey, Come watch the Crunch Bunch podcast, the Uncommon Deeds podcast sponsored race car presented by Goss Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram and Yates Auto Body with the Professor Al Maynard going out to win that damn warrior race. It's going to happen. I hope so. Oh, my God. I am pumped. A lot of time and effort over a couple nights were put in by Al and... Justin and nah, I didn't do much. It was Chad, was Alan, Chad. Eddie. Was Eddie there? <laughs> I don't think Eddie showed up. Actually, uh, he donated his seat and a lot of knowledge from afar. But I don't think he's. Maybe he's been up there. I'm not sure. But uh, Alan, Chad were the ones doing all the hard work. So, yeah. Well, you spent a long night there. Whether you did work, I you spent did. a long night there. I did do that. I drove from. Devil's Bowl <laughs> to Williamstown to see Paul to get the decals to Fairfax to install the decals on the car and then back down to Bridport to get my ass to bed. That was a long day. It was a long, long day. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Well, tuning in, downloading, streaming, whatever the hip kids call it. Uh, Join us again next week. 
We'll be here. Another episode. Next week's guess. Your guess is as good as ours at this current time. <laughs> We're going to have a show. That's all we know. You post you post a silhouette of a car on our Facebook page, and maybe we'll guess who we're going to talk to this week. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, you've been uh, you've been listening to the Uncommon Deeds <laughs> podcast. This is a production of Uncommon Media. <laughs>